Hello, everyone. Welcome to 2021. Woo. Thanks for tuning in to our first episode of this year for MA Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. This is quite possibly the most highly anticipated new year ever, leaving behind the challenges of 2020 and bringing us only the changes we want to make in the coming years and beyond. As a futurist, I have never been more energized and excited by the possibilities of this new year, and I'm confident in what the future holds will be positive. That's why we're here spending time with you today to talk about what our top predictions and forecasts of the year will be, sharing our inside intel on the year of ideation and innovations and how you can stay ahead and get involved with all of it. I'll cover topics as they pertain to trends, forecasts, and innovations across all of our industries that we serve. And Sam will complement my forecasts with those pertaining to behavioral psychology, consumer sentiment, and mental health. That way you'll really understand what's going to happen and how people are going to respond and where you fit into all of that. We do this every year internally, but this year we decided instead to share a little inside insight with our favorite listeners, you. For us, it's about strategic direction. In the spirit of the new year, a lot of people try to do a lot as quickly as possible, but you can go nowhere fast. So instead, we're really committed to living more intentionally and setting time aside to decide where you want to go, and the steps that are required to get there. All of a sudden, you'll realize that your life, personally and or professionally, takes on more meaning and becomes more successful and subsequently more fulfilling. It's a win-win-win. One of my favorite things from this exercise is when things come to fruition. We joke all the time that Mark needs to get a crystal ball because nothing is freakier or more fulfilling than when his predictions from 12, 18 months ago come true. And I love finding the articles and sending them to him so we can have a moment of freak out together. But... (laughs) We do have his crystal ball in front of him today, (laughs) and we're going to share with you guys the coolest thing ever when his predictions come true. So when you listen to this January 1st, 2022, you can be like, wow, they were right. They were leading us in the right direction this whole time. I can tell you that my crystal ball this morning is a big cup of uh, green tea from Starbucks just to get me going. (laughs) (laughs) I will say it is kind of freaky and it is fulfilling. You know, my experience as a certified futurist has taught me the tools required to make these forecasts, pulling from history and signals and drivers that indicate the direction of what's to come next. Being able to articulate these ideas early so that we can all share in them because we all need something to look forward to. Absolutely. Now, I want to brace you all. This is going to probably be a lot. This is probably going to be a, well, it will be a two-part episode because we just had so much that's come up because of 2020. And we know that there might be a lot to take away, so just hold on and brace for it. Let's also just be aware that we are actually recording this episode on January 7th, the day after everything that happened on the Capitol. So we are hoping that what you can take away from this are things that you want to look forward to, things that you can have as positive outcomes to work toward in 2021. And as everyone who has survived 2020 listening now, we all know that anything could happen. And so while we're hopeful for the future, if the next few days bring different things that we don't mention on the podcast, please note that's why we are recording in advance. Also, as Mark said, this will be a two-part episode. So on each episode, Mark will share two trends as they relate to trends and forecasts. And I'll share two trends as they relate to human behavior, psychology, and consumer sentiment. So you'll walk away really well-rounded by figuring out what's going to happen next and how people will respond and react. Yeah, it's just Sam and I today. No guests. It's just going to be us talking back and forth. So get ready, people. We're bringing it. We're We're going to blast off 2021. (laughs) So let's start by sharing our intentions for 2021 to give our listeners an idea of how to create their own and perhaps inspire some ideas. For me, 
2021 is a year that will blossom into a cultural renaissance. It's the year where we're going to bring down the barriers that we once thought were impossible and rise above because we've already achieved it in 2020. 2020 is probably going to be known as the great accelerator year and it probably put us ahead about two to three years for what we were planning for. While I don't want to downplay the seriousness of what happened in 2020, I do believe that there are many positive things that came from this one year that felt like probably 10 put together. <laughs> decade. A decade in one. While we're social distancing and wearing masks was a challenge, it allowed us to pause and recenter our values and prioritize. You know, this is the true inflection point in history that will spark new ideation and creativity around how we can be together but separate and how technology can connect us as humans and how we can set our daily lives based on what we need at that moment. I think what we will want to focus on in 2021 is finding the subtle, the subtle things, the nuances of change in our lives that can elevate us to a higher purpose. I think it's going to allow us to take stock of the things that we do on a day in and day out basis, the things that we repeat over and over again, and figure out a new way to, to do them. You know, our brains are a great tool for us. They actually create pathways. So that way when we repeat uh, a task over and over again, it forms a network that allows us to do it faster. And that's what I really want to break in 2021. I want to find a way to break that pathway. I love that. I think a lot of times people do things repetitively because that's how it's always been done and it becomes really easy and really natural. It's no different than when you work out. When you try something different or you go up that next weight class, all of a sudden it feels different. It feels more challenging. But I think something to the effect of what you're saying is if you're not changing it, you're choosing it. Correct. And I think there are a lot of things that people are harping on or complaining about, but they're not changing. So if you're not changing it, you are choosing it. And it's a really important year to take accountability for your actions, your behaviors, how they contribute to greater society and what you can do differently to change. And I think the way that we can use uh, a measuring tool for ourselves is by what we value, what's important to us. And maybe using that to say, okay, this is what's important to me today because of 2020. And these are the things that I constantly do. Let's uh, evaluate all of that and let's see where we can come up with something that's different. And that's where innovation comes from. It's the small steps. It's not the big steps. You know, what's really funny is that a lot of people think that the computer was uh, an idea that came from Microsoft or Apple. Believe it or not, Xerox created the first computer. Interesting. It's really cool. Like they came up with this thing because they needed a tool to help all of their copiers, but they were so focused on copying, they never realized what they actually created until I think it was Steve Jobs came through and saw it. And then they, it, computer came from all of that. So it's just, you may already have the tools, you just may not be aware of it. And that's what I really want to stop and break for 2021. I love that. And I love the idea that you will evaluate opportunities against the intention to serve as guardrails to make sure everything you choose to invest your time and energy and effort to is going to move you closer in that right direction. You know, really, really deciding where you want to go and how you're going to get there. In my perspective, to your point, 2020 was a year of challenges and lessons. And subsequently, 2021, to me, I believe is a year of change and applying those learnings into application. So if we've made it through 2020, which everyone listening has, without taking any of the lessons with us, we've really cheated ourselves from so many chances for growth. Last year shook us in an, an awakening of conscious living. People finally became attuned to things that were happening, even with social justice movements and health concerns and, you know, local communities and your neighbors and things became more aware than we've ever realized before. I think we were all living in our little bubbles of a world, you know, just moving alongside each other without really integrating. And I think it really popped those bubbles and broke our world of self-consumption and, and really made us aware of our communities. So I think 
that said, it really brought focus on what we need versus what we want and recalibrated our expectations. So for 2021, personally, I'm committed to living without an attachment to my expectations. So this is a lesson I learned a while ago from a really amazing yoga guru. And they were telling us that it's not expectations that are dangerous. They're actually really healthy. It's our attachment to our expectations that becomes unhealthy. So expectations can serve as motivators. They can serve as hope. They can serve as a positive look towards the future. But when you become attached to what you want those expectations to be, and then things shift or they look different, but you're holding on to that attachment, that's where bitterness, resentment, this inability to grow stems from. So being willing to say, I would love for this to happen. And then when it shows up in a different way in your life, being willing to say, okay, you know, I, I wanted a new job. It's not the exact job that I applied for. It's actually the second one that I was recommended to. This was meant to happen for a reason. So, for example, like I just said, if, you know, if you're looking forward to a, a big event like a vacation and something happens like, I don't know, a pandemic, uh, <laughs> to cancel it and you find yourself wallowing in self-pity because it was ruined instead of just finding a creative way to spend your time off that could result in some really beautiful outcomes, it's a missed opportunity. So I think that this idea of being losing the attachment to expectations really is rooted in resiliency and adaptability. So it's just a different way to look at it and a different way to just say, I'm open to the opportunities that are coming my way. Well, what I really love about that, Sam, is, you know, I think we as Americans really get lost in the trap of failure. You know, thinking that when we don't achieve what we set out to do, it's a failure on our part versus understanding the process is sometimes more valuable than the outcome. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I was just listening Guy Raz, How I Built This is one of my favorite podcasts, and they're all about failures. That's his number one focus. It's not the successes of these, you know, Howard Schultz's of the world and Sarah Blakely's of the world. It's their failures and how, you know, every time they were told no, the 50 times, it built up this almost immunity. He was saying it was almost like a vaccine, you know, where the more times you hear no, but you continue to believe in your head, I know that this is something special. You just need that one. But it's those failures and that repetitive being told, no, you can't do it, that that builds this resiliency and this tolerance, basically, you know, to say, I'm going to do anything it takes. And so 2020 was that for so many of us. And so 2021 is that opportunity for these breakthroughs, these successes, you know, right before the breakdown is always the breakthrough. And I feel like this is our year. I know I'm putting a lot, but I'm also not attached to my expectations. I just have really, really positive expectations for this year. Another really big thing is my commitment to creating space for change. It is greater than ever, and I've definitely identified, for me personally, the three injustices that I feel really passionate about and working towards this year with really actionable change. I think there's a lot of great things to talk about it and raise awareness, which a lot of things were happening in 2020 to start conversations and post on your Facebook or your Instagram story about an injustice that you see that you feel is not fair, not right, needs to be different. This year is about actionable change. So turning your words into action, making things change, making things different, and really making an impact. I think it's fulfilling and connecting. And that's what we're looking for this year. You'll hear it through our trends as we continue to have this conversation. And just feeling like you're part of something bigger and a change that will improve the lives of others. Yeah, just one final point on that whole idea of, you know, things that never come to fruition. We just finished binge watching Schitt's Creek, by the way. It's my new favorite ep- uh, show to watch. Uh, Daniel Levy, if you're out there, please follow us, like us. Uh, <laughs> we love you. But it's so funny. We watched the documentary of the last episode, 
And I would say, I think it was maybe like three or four of those main actors said that they were about to give up on their career before they were hired to be, Alexis was one of them. Love that. About to uh, go and work, I think at like Costco or something like that, to stock shelves uh, before they were hired for this episode. So you just never know what's coming. And I think that's what's great about 2021 is that 2020 pushed us to say, we can do this. We can make it happen. And I really feel like self-improvement and understanding of other are going to be leader leading drivers for this year. You know, in fact, I think we really want to focus on the positive connotations. Like I said, if we look at 2021 as an opportunity, it was a huge push. There's opportunities across all of the sectors that we serve, transportation, education, retail, workplace, just to name a few. Again, I think 2020 is going to be known as the great accelerator mm-hmm. and maybe decelerated to your point earlier, Sam, just about how we had to slow down and focus on like what we valued and what we needed. Um, you know, after past pandemics, we've seen better housing, we've seen better quality of healthcare, better uh, opportunities for people to come from rural communities into the cities for better new jobs. So again, I think there's going to be a lot of positive change. I read a, a forecast that said um, upwards of 80% of the jobs that we need for 2030 haven't been created yet. So there's so tons wild. of opportunities for people to find what they're passionate about and really make it for themselves. A lot of people are going to um, are already talking about how the post-COVID era is going to be called the fourth industrial revolution. Interesting. Right? You know, but as opposed to the last industrial revolution, this one's going to blend technology into the uh, physical world that we are creating. And so, you know, we live in this hybridic state where we like to blend words together, like resumercial, where we take residential and commercial and blend them together. Love so it. fidgetal is where we blend the physical and digital world together. And so I think this is something that we're going to see come full steam in 2021. Fidgetal. Fidgetal. I love it. I also love that you're looking at the past to predict the future. I think it's the greatest indicator. And I think what a cool thing that you say, you know, from past pandemics, because that in itself demonstrates resiliency and demonstrates, you know, I think people... We've talked about it before, but that pendulum really swung in 2020, and a lot of people immediately reacted to that striking swing versus waiting for equilibrium to respond. And I think 2021 will be the year of equilibrium where things start to balance out. I think last year was a year of calibration, and I think that you know if anyone is responding to that massive strike, we just need to take a pause and, and really figure out where equilibrium is going to end. And it sounds like it might be a fidgetal world. A fidgetal like world. That. You know, and we can't look to the future without understanding the past. I think that's a fallacy that a lot of people try to do. They try to say, okay, I understand this today. Here's what I need to try to figure out to get my innovation going. But without taking the steps of understanding our history, we lose it. You know, uh, what's the saying? Uh, Those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. So I think looking at the past helps us understand what we can apply to today to be better for tomorrow. Um, You know, I think when we really think about the digital and, you know, the the digital and physical world blending together, it makes sense that it's going to be an accelerated trend for 2021 because um, post work from home and shelter in place where we found ourselves wholly reliant on technology, that's the norm now. And we are now trying to figure out how to blend that technology into our world to, to continue to work, to continue to shop. I love that. So we've talked in the past about augmented intelligence, which is the evolution of artificial intelligence. It's where human input is the main driver, but technology elevates that human input. So it kind of reminds me a little bit of what you're saying with this idea of digital. When it comes to things like artificial intelligence and digital personas. So what do you think is going to come of this in 2021? I think if you look at the devices you have in your home, you know, in our minds, we call them helpful devices versus smart devices because they're really just trying to help you. They're trying to give you aid. You know, they are primed to deliver those blending of the digital and physical experiences. Studies have shown that work from home can work, but it only works when you have work that is more heads down and when you actually have the space 
to do so. You know, one interesting statistic that I read is that millennials are settling down now. You know, they were our once nomadic gig driven uh, generation. They're looking to put down local roots and there are localists who are wanting to activate the community per their own needs and their own values. And they're settling down, they're buying their first homes and they see homes as a space now to spread out and to try new hobbies because they're taking what once was their traveling budget and putting it towards these new homes. I love that. I think too, you know, we've said it on the podcast about Gen Z before, but a lot of people think millennials are still the young generation in the workforce. Incorrect. You know, they're in their 30s, they're starting families, they're in the mid of the career. You know, it's actually Gen Z that is the new kids on the block. And so it's really interesting to think that this massive population demographic is starting to settle down. So it sounds to me like a great opportunity for multifamily clients and developers and and things like that to learn from. So those apartment buildings that everyone is noticing popping up everywhere, and there's still a population to fill them. It blows my mind when people tell me the wait lists for some of these apartment buildings, friends of mine that live in them. And I'm like, how is this possible? I feel like everywhere I look, there is one and there's a new one being built beside it, you know? So talk to me about the opportunities there are for these developments. You know, it's it's really primed and Columbus is primed too, because I think last year we were the fifth largest or fifth fastest growing city in the country. And so, you know, what people are really wanting in their new apartments now is flexibility. A lot of people, you know, had a studio space um, and, I think they were looking to upgrade. They may be looking to upgrade to a larger space, but I think the opportunity is also that they can think about what tools could be implemented into that studio space that still allows them to do the things that they thought they might need if they went to like a one bedroom apartment. You know, that's where that digital implementation can help those millennials um, come back to renting versus just buying. So, you know, nook spaces are, were once thought as unusable space. They're the places where we usually put like mechanical devices and our water heaters. And I think we can think about how we can use those for maybe the home office nook or the gym nook. Another opportunity would be flexible furniture. You know, Murphy beds are actually coming back in style now. They were once thought of as uh, kind of out of date, but now they can take your bedroom and it can transform into a, a larger space that could become your yoga studio. And that's not technology, but then you can use technology to digitally accent those spaces. Um, you know, to where we did a study with um, what the future unit might want to look like, given all of the the pandemic things that are happening. And what we found is that we could use technology to create a corporate culture within a space by using a um, video projector. Or, you know, again, we have our smart, helpful devices that can tell us what our sentiment analysis is going to look like, what emotions we're feeling, so that we can broadcast that to our coworkers. So these spaces, again, they can be smaller spaces. They don't have to be like a full room. It's just where we can now allow AR and VR to help us um, accent our space and make it truly more of a um, digitally enhanced, digital environment. Um, you can also think about it how we might have those nooks become where we shop. You know, a lot of retailers are doing live streaming platforms, and this could be where they um, work through the mirror or other devices that allow us to shop. I was just going to bring that up. I think the fact that Lululemon just bought Mirror is such a key indicator that it is just the beginning, that we have not seen it take over the world yet in the way that Lululemon is is able to do with their brand. But I think that's such an interesting tool and device. I had read a research study that was saying students and graduate students would be more interested in renting an apartment that had a mirror than massive amenity spaces. So how cool, too, to think that the pool tables and the movie theaters are maybe, you know, not quite as much of a priority as having your space inside that's accented with digital technology. You know, you need only that mirror on the wall, which 
by day looks like a, a true mirror, you know, and then the, the size of a yoga mat in front of it. The, no more space is required. So, and you have a, a home gym suddenly, you know. And exactly. It's so interesting to think what can, what we can do with a small space that makes a great, great impact. Um, well, I mean, just to add to that, a lot of our younger generations are not going out. They're not going to bars as much. They are staying home and hosting parties. They're having gaming parties. And that's, again, where technology can become a powerful tool for our physical environment to shape how we interact with other and how we interact uh, with the digital world. I love that. And I think that the integration of human connection and technology to amplify each other is such a key, key thing, um, especially connection is such an important thing for me to talk about and think about because for me as we move into one of our consumer sentiments and one of our behavioral psychology predictions PTSD is really going to be something that you hear you experience you have moments that you don't know what's happening and I think that this conversation will really help you have a better understanding of what's going on so PTSD support I think if you've heard of it before, you probably associate it with veterans. It's a very, very extreme example, but it is that in its true application. It's post-traumatic stress disorder. So like I said, it's very, very commonly associated with war veterans. That's an extreme example. So I want everyone to not get scared when they hear that word and understand that there is a sliding scale of what that looks like in your life and from your experiences in 2020, and it can show up at any point in your life. But like anything, it's important to know that that extremity can range from being moderate to mild to extreme based upon the associated trauma and experience. Um, A lot of people have been posting about we were all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. And then you saw these posts that were saying, well, we're all in the same storm for 2020, but we're in different boats, you know, depending on your situation and how you experienced 2020. If you kept your job, you kept your health, you kept your family, you probably were in a much better position than the single mom who lost her job and her kids are at school, out of school and, you know, all these things. So for 2020, especially those that might have lost a job or even worse, yet a loved one, that experienced financial, mental, or physical trauma, PTSD symptoms could be greater. So I want you to think that, you know, on that sliding scale, don't hear that word and get scared that I'm saying what you feel is the same as a war veteran. I cannot even imagine. But think about about it in that sliding scale. So those people who really had loss in 2020 might have more greater PTSD symptoms. Whereas someone who might have maintained their employment and their health but struggled with feelings of isolation and anxiety from fear of the unknown, you might have a more mild to moderate experience. It's not meant to scare you, this conversation. It's meant to educate you and equip you with the tools necessary to work through this. So it is so important while we're shifting stigma to strength to talk about these things in a way where we're not fearful. If I told you that, you know, you might have heart palpitations if you're a COVID long hauler, you know, I don't think people get as scared about that, you know, if, if you hear that versus if you hear these things about mental health. So let's talk about this in a really real way that isn't meant to scare you, but offer confidence in our ability to deal and heal from the experience and the aftershock of 2020. So, you know, I think one thing that we've said in past episodes is that, you know, when we talked about mental health, you have to understand where everybody is, or actually you have to understand that not everybody is going to be in the same place that you are. So when we're dealing with other people, we need to be aware that there is a lot of trauma. It could just be as simple as they had a stressful time trying to go to the, go to the grocery store and maybe what they wanted was not available mm-hmm. because of um, disruption in the transportation industry or disruption in the supply chain. Absolutely. So Sam, tell our listeners 
listeners what this might look like again, you know, from and where does it come from? I think it's really interesting. Our brains are so primitive. They're, we're very, very primal beings, as evolved as we are, including our response to stress. So like our early ancestors in the Paleolithic era, when we're approached with stress, our fight or flight is activated immediately. So what does that mean? That means the hormones of cortisol and adrenaline are released into your body. They flood your body to create this surge that provides enough energy for action. So those paleo ancestors might have been responding to a lion attacking them, whereas in the modern day we're responding to, from last year, the uncertainty surrounding the pandemic and the symptoms that come from that. But after that great, great surge, these hormones are flooding your body, you're ready to go into that fight or flight mode, So after that depletion, that's where PTSD arises. So a simple definition of that experience when a person is recovering after experiencing or witnessing a terrifying event and have difficulty doing so. Symptoms that you might not know are PTSD are including nightmares, unwanted memories of trauma, avoidance of situations that bring back memories of the trauma, heightened reactions, anxiety, or depressed mood. I work with this integrative medicine group, and they were saying a lot of people are coming in saying, I'm so irritable, or I can't sleep at night, you know, or I'm really, really feeling like I can't relax. And they're saying, what is it? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with my heart? What's wrong with my... And they're like, no, no, no. This is stress manifesting in your body. So when you start to see these symptoms, it's not a need to get scared. It's just an awareness that you need to act and you need to do things to support your central nervous system and your mental health. Let me explain. For someone who lost a loved one from COVID, that trigger might be driving past a hospital or someone discounting the severity of COVID. You know, if you lost someone and someone's saying, oh, it's not a big deal, you know, that doesn't feel good. And that could really be enough to kind of set you on this spiral where all of a sudden you feel really, really irritable or you feel really, really stressed out and you just need to step away from the situation. For someone who lost a job, it might be if your new boss reaches out to set up time to talk later. You know, that feeling where you're like, oh my gosh, is everything okay? Like, am I going to, you know, did I do something wrong? Am I going to lose my job again? It could bring that concern for job security even without any reason. Nothing could have gone wrong, but you just are waiting for that other shoe to drop. You're feeling tense. You're feeling really, really tightly wound. If you're feeling any of these ways, these could be the repercussions of the aftershock of 2020. This could be some semblance of PTSD manifesting in your life. A really easily relatable example is a car accident. So big or small, once you've been in a car accident, the next time you get inside your car, you are way more on edge. You are white knuckling that steering wheel and you are so fearful that that might happen again. And you're hyper aware of everything around you. So if you know that feeling, whether or not you've ever labeled it this, you have experienced PTSD. That's an example. And it gives you an idea of the behavioral sediment we can expect collectively in our communities for 2021. So I predict that the most common symptoms we'll see and share will be heightened reactions, so that hypersensitivity and anxiety, the feeling that, like I said, the other shoe is gonna drop at any moment, especially when things feel like they're going really well. We almost need to trust that things could actually go well this year. You know, one thing that we talked about, Sam, so uh, one thing that I'm really proud of MA Architects for doing in uh, 2020 is as soon as things started to happen in March, we came together and we said, okay, what is the possible outcomes and how can we help people understand what might come next? And we came up with an entire uh, trend forecast presentation on post-pandemic predictions. We did all of the alliterations with all of the P's that came out of that. I love it. And one of the things that we talked about from a behavioral standpoint was PTSD in the C-suite. And it was interesting to watch the reaction when we started talking about this, because we usually were talking with more of leadership or people who were uh, running companies or trying to figure out what to do next. And you could almost see them like tense up a little bit because PTSD has such a negative connotation where I think it's interesting now that we're embracing it. But 
when we were talking about it with them, what we said is that, you know, there may be a chance where the people who are going through this may have already gone through another issue like the recession that happened in 2009. So this is the second big, large global event that they're having to go through. And what we talked about is that they're probably going to be more likely to make uh, decisions quickly in the short term as long as they can figure out how they can benefit them in the long term. So Sam, what is the positive takeaway here? You know, we, we really want to leave our listeners with some positive thoughts, but why should people care about this? Why should business owners or individuals really care about PTSD? Yeah, absolutely. So the positive thing is that by normalizing these feelings, it's less isolating and it actually creates connection in your community and your culture. I think a lot of companies talk about, oh, we have a great culture. We have a ping pong table. It's so much more than that. It's making sure that your employees feel safe and feel heard and feel like they're not alone. So in the space of PTSD and anxiety, it also has a direct impact on our ability to focus and function. A lot of people think that you can sweep mental health under the rug. It's like any other organ in your body. You have to take care of it. It's better to listen to it when it's whispering than let it scream. So if left untreated, it directly impacts our abilities to function at work, at home, our relationships. And people that disregard that impact might notice mood swings and difficulty concentrating and increased irritability and even feel themselves losing interest in things that were once their passions or once really excited them. If you things that in the past you would always look forward to, you're like, eh, I could, I'm indifferent about it now, that might be an early indicator and that might be a red flag inside of your brain saying, hey, we really need to look at what's going on. The good news is it's treatable and the work is clear. You know, I think it's funny that you mentioned ping pong tables because we recently had a conversation with a workplace client and they're like, a ping pong table does not equal culture. And I love that because, you know, we recognize that a lot of that started in tech companies. You know, a lot of that came from Silicon Valley where they were trying to create this playful sense and people were active and energetic. And I really love that this is now going to become part of culture where we're taking care of others. Right. So so how do we stay ahead of it? How do we help um, businesses be ready for this? So. If someone was asking me this at MA, let's say, right, the leadership team, it means building trust, which is done through communication. For a while, it might look like more reassurance than usual. It's consistent check-ins and updates. I would tell Mark that it would mean sharing financials and the progress of KPIs more frequently and setting up a communication cadence for company-wide updates, perhaps twice a month on Wednesdays. You know, something that is really, really consistent, that employees can count on for updates and for information. It's what we did through the entire pandemic. We had leadership updates that came out every day. Can you believe that? When things were really crazy at two o'clock and then we moved it to every Monday. So people knew any changes in the office, any changes with return to work or work from home or whatever, you know, employee benefits, any of those things. When we moved to telehealth, it was all communicated and they could count that every Monday at two o'clock, they would get a letter from the leadership. They didn't need to worry about anything in the meantime. You know, there wouldn't be these pop-up emails, you know, a a letter from Mark Daniels in the middle of your workday that could really induce more of that fear. That's what we're trying to move away from. We're trying to move towards stability, security, and consistency. That is how we're going to eradicate these symptoms of PTSD. So in creating those routines, it creates stability and transparent communication reduces fear and creates deeper trust. That's how you're going to really shift your workplace culture And your relationships in this time, you know, you might have a friend who went through a really, really challenging time or a loved one, check in with them more often, let them know more frequently that they're not alone, that you are there. How can I best support you? You know, those are the words to start incorporating in your personal lexicon, your personal vocabulary. So for individuals, some of the greatest tips that we've been researching and working with our mental health resources here at MA to evaluate your coping skills. What makes you feel grounded and calm. 
you know, it's not exclusively meditation. It might be playing guitar. It might be for you, Mark, going for a run. Absolutely. Video games, I don't care what it is. Identify three. So I want everyone to almost use this as an exercise right now. Think in your mind what are three things you can do to feel grounded and calm. You need to think of it ahead of time, not when you're in that heightened sense of hyperarousal where you're feeling panicky, you're feeling anxious. I want you to have those skills prepared and ready so then when that mood hits, you can go ahead and turn to those skills. That is how you will move through those moments. Nothing lasts forever. No feeling is permanent. So if you have the skills you need to move through and navigate that time, when you're feeling overwhelmed, no matter the intensity, that is how you will find success and find the opportunity to, for growth. You know, for me, it's, it's putting on Dave Matthews. I don't know what it is about that man, but I just melt every single time. That you sultry know? voice of yes. Dave Matthews. Oh, it's like butter, you know? But honestly, that is one of my go-tos every single time. If someone's feeling overwhelmed from their experiences of 2020 and have thought about seeing a therapist, that's the biggest indicator that you should. We had Kate Pedro on here before, mm-hmm. a mental health counselor who's helped us with concepts like the respite room. And she had said that, and it was such an aha for me. If you've thought in your mind, I really, you know, maybe I should see a therapist. You should. That is your, that is your brain telling you it's time. So better health is a really awesome online therapy tool. And it reminds me, Mark, of what you were saying with this digital world. We are moving to, you don't even have to leave your house now. You know, you could use these tools like better health, where you can connect with mental health professionals throughout the country at your convenience, on your schedule, with your criteria. If you're like, I'd feel much more comfortable talking to a man who is in his 30s, you know, versus a woman in her 60s. You find what fits for you. And even if it's just a session or two, taking the time to talk with a professional will equipped you with the best skills to use these challenges as an opportunity for great change. All right, you guys, I know I'm, I'm saying a lot. It's a huge passion of mine. I cannot stop this conversation without saying this last thing. I think we all need to remember to support each other. It's an old saying for a reason, but you never know what someone's going through. PTSD, anxiety, and being triggered can be invisible to someone on the outside, and it feels like your world is collapsing on the inside. Have you ever lost a loved one, lost a job, went through trauma, and you're at the grocery store and people are laughing and you're like, don't you know what's happening? You know, but the world continues to turn for everybody else. So we need to lead with love and be kinder than you think you should be because you really don't know what's going on in someone's life. And wouldn't you hope someone shows you that kindness in your time of struggle? Yes, I agree. I, you know, I think I, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but just understanding that where you are is not where somebody else is and just being cognizant of it. People in, in our um, pandemic predictions, we talked about uh, people needing space and space can look like physical space, but it can also look just like emotional space as well, too. I love that. So we talked about feeling safe and supported um, at work, especially, you know, where we spend eight plus, maybe more hours a day. I think our workplaces are going to be the next trend that I really want to talk about for 2021. I know. I, I'm craving being permanently back in the office. I think that this hybridic model that we've talked about before is definitely going to be the way of the future. I'm sure days will look different, or maybe it's one day you work from home and the other four you're in the office, or a few hours from home so you can do your head down work at the end of the day, whatever it looks like. But the workplace is not dead. If anything, the appetite for it is greater than ever. What it looks like might be different, but no one knows that better than you. Well, you know, we did our work from home survey over the summer. We had over 400 respondents across the entire country of all different demographics. And if we learn anything from that survey, it's that we need space. We need to make sure that we have space that allows people to work how they want to work, though. You know, before the pandemic, again, the pandemic accelerated a lot of things. We were talking about how people needed choice, how people needed an agile workspace that worked for them based off of the type of work that they were doing. You know, and then we went to work from home, 
where that may work for some, again, if they have heads down work that they want to do and they have the space that allows them to do that. But that's not really taking into account, you know, things like the neurodiverse population, which could be as simple as somebody who is more of an extrovert and working from home for them just doesn't work with their body chemistry. It doesn't work with the way that they need to interact socially. Me. And so, yes, Sam, <laughs> we all love Sam's communications that come in. Although I will say Sam and I chat, you know, through Gchat, probably at the most odd random hours. It's because these random ideas just come to us and all of a sudden we're like, this is what needs to happen on our show. Yeah, we want to feel connected. Exactly. So I think, you know, we need to think about like what is going to happen that allows for the new changes that are coming. You know, we want to make sure that we still have informal collisions that can have overheard conversations. And one thing that I, I keep stressing is that we need space because we need engagement and engagement breeds better productivity. I love that. Talk to me about informal collisions. What is that? So think about it like people talk about the water cooler, which is probably a thing of the past. There's usually not a true water vibes. cooler, right? <laughs> um, but it's where you're going to get your tea or your coffee. You're going into the break area that morning because you need your caffeine fix. And so you hear somebody talking about uh, a meeting that's coming down the road and you forgot something or it helps you jog your memory or it's just they're talking about their weekend and then you join in the conversation. Love that. That's that informal collision spot that makes people connect with others and it makes better engagement for their employees. I love that. You know, another big change that we need to think about for the workplace beyond just how work from home is shifting uh, our way of uh, working is diversity and inclusion. Obviously, you know, we had talked about Black Lives Matters um, with social justice movements. Many of the companies are working to ensure that their platforms are offering um, a diverse uh, place for people to work. They're offering things that they now understand it's not just about um, making sure that the message comes across, which is important, but also understanding that, you know, we've got people who are more elderly that are working in the workplace longer. It's people who have disabilities other than just the ones that, you know, we might all see from a physical standpoint. And it's being making sure that they have spaces that function for them. You know, this could mean new restroom designs, new product designs, new experiential graphics, new layouts. All of these are drivers that are changing the workplace. I love that so much. We, for a while there, have talked about the three C's, comfort, choice, and control. And Mark has added on that fourth, the community idea. And choice in when and how to work, comfort in knowing you are being served. I think in this application, control in creating a space just for you, even within a shared workspace, and community in bringing people together. And I think after 2020, community became a huge priority for us. I know that's one of our trends we'll talk about later on, but I think that connection is so important. And you just are really riding on the coattails of existing relationships if you're still 100% working from home right now. Because it isn't the same to have a conversation, that informal collision. Uh, when you're on a Zoom call, you know, th that it is if you're at the office and you walk in and someone's grabbing coffee and you say, well, you know, how was your weekend? What was the best thing that happened or whatever? Um, so I think that's a, it's all so interesting to think about. Yeah, I mean, we just hired three new people. And can you imagine what that interview process must have had to be like in order for them to understand what MA's culture was like? I mean, just, just from our standpoint, like we have a very dynamic culture, but right now we have a lot of people still working from home. And even though we've brought a lot of people back, it's still a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, again, we need space so that they can understand what the team is going to look like, how people are going to interact with each other. Absolutely. From what I, I heard from them, because that was an interesting experience, I think, was a lot of it was relying on that digital world where it was some of what they experienced in person for their in-person interviews, but a lot of it relied on the digital storefront MA represented via our website and social media. And so for brands and companies, it's more important than ever to make sure those two are very aligned, that what your physical experience is matches with your digital experience, because in this digital world, it's going to be a blend of the two. And they need to really, really be 
key indicators of who you are, even beyond what you do. Yeah. I, so I think where I'm going with all of this is that my my forecast for the change of workplace coming in 2021 is that they're really going to be more these inclusive cultural community centers. You know, um, with the pandemic, we've heard a lot of talk about and had conversations around the fourth space. So third spaces are like those liminal spaces where we have areas in between. You know, think about where you have a meeting and then you have 15 minutes to get to your next meeting, which is in a, diff- a different room. That 15 minute time period is your liminal space. And so those liminal spaces could look like a lounge area where you sit down, you pop open your laptop, and you're answering a couple quick emails. Um, Or it could be where you get up from your desk and decide to go to the cafe because that's where you want to work at that time. That's more of that third space. These fourth spaces that we've been talking about are really where the community comes in, and it's where other amenities are offered. You know, it could look like retail components. It could be wellness. It could be daily services like dry cleaning that comes in. Um, Obviously, you know, there's work happening during the day, but at night, these spaces could also become used by the community. Much of the idea of where the fourth space came about came from discussions about how companies and organizations had to find ways to pivot their assets during pandemic so they weren't completely down and they weren't completely dark. You know, companies learned to find gaps in their assets, which is something we use foresight and futurism to help us do. I think what 2020 really pointed us to is that the single use function of spaces doesn't make sense a lot. And that's where these inclusive community centers, as I will call them, really engage the outside world and come in to potentially generate revenue during off hours and create more engagement. So think about the workplace where you're coming to work and maybe there is a nonprofit that is taking over part of that space at nighttime, but during the day, it's where you can come into work so you can sit and be near other people. Mm For those companies that are wanting engagement, this is creating engagement not only with the community, but within the uh, organization itself. It allows them to interact with the outside world. You know, it also offers their employees maybe a reduced amount of stops they have to make around the day. Think about somebody who maybe has a, uh, they need to go to the pharmacy. They maybe need to go, again, pick up their dry cleaning. Maybe they want to talk to a wellness counselor. I think that's where these, you know, community centers really come into play because they can have these little siloed areas that maybe change on a daily basis for people to come in and have those services offered. So you might not have to leave work in order to go do those normal daily routines that you want. You know, and these inclusive community centers offer a really important component, which is seeing people. Mm -hmm. You know, we are human creatures. We need face-to-face connection all the time. I love the word community center too. I think it's a less scary word than the workplace or the office or, you know, it seems a little bit more informal, more resumercial. And I think that in this shift of 2020, when we've all been working from home to then imagine going straight back to a corporate office with, you know, rows and rows of cubes almost feels even more overwhelming that readjustment period than it would have been in any other time in our lives. You know, you think about that two weeks from the holidays to the new year, and even that feels like jolting to go back to the office. But after a full year, especially people who have been 100% dedicated to working remote, especially for people who have been 100% dedicated to working remote, that's, that's a lot. So I think for places to almost become more vulnerable spaces, which brings me into my next prediction. My second prediction, that transition, right, is the concept of a safe space. It's going to be huge for businesses, for leaders, for individuals. Those that can accommodate will be among the most successful and respected, I guarantee you. 2020 brought light to many injustices and reality to difficult truths that still exist in our world today. So coupled with stressors, companies need to work to be a safe 
space. I'm going to tell you what that means. It's no longer a priority, but a demand to focus on inclusivity, diversity, and accessibility. I want to read you an excerpt from WGSN. Mark knows, of course, but it's an international trend forecasting tool we use. The pandemic, social unrest, and economic uncertainty are resulting in people reprioritizing needs, with safety and security, both physical and mental, being top of mind. Institutions, businesses, and consumers are focusing on protection, mitigating risk, and creating safe spaces. I think this is so timely after seeing what happened yesterday at the Capitol because I think safety matters more than ever, physical and mental safety. You know, I think this is is really spot on, just as you said. It, it can also be implemented into those liminal spaces that I mentioned earlier, where if you have a space between, it's about taking a break. It can be about bringing comfort or rest. You know, safe spaces could also be a place of learning too. Um, education spaces, I think, are primed right now for what this next evolutionary step could allow for. You know, we have the third spaces and makerspaces in education right now where people can go and learn in a different manner, but they can evolve to include these safe spaces too. I think if we think about mental health in higher education where students are constantly under pressure to perform, safe spaces truly promote well-being and could be a place for digital detox or they could be part of the digital world that we're talking about question. You mentioned third spaces and maker spaces. For our listeners who might not be familiar with those terms, what are those? What, is those? what do those look like? What's an example they might have experienced or seen? So in higher education, a third space could be like just taking the class outside. It could be the gathering steps that are so prevalent right now where a professor wants to break out of the classroom, but they want to go to a different space. A maker space is where they can have technology and tools and equipment to try to build things, to try to break things. It's where um, design and critical thinking really come into play because what it allows them to do is it allows them to fail in understanding what happened during that time where it didn't work out and then jump and build off of that. Love that. So I think if we really think about um, how these safe spaces come into play, the other thing is how robots came into play and how they can be used as part of these safe spaces. You know, during 2020, companion robots were used globally in nursing homes, hospitals, and for people in lockdown who had little to no contact with people. Educational and social robots are also being used for children who are unable to play with friends or attend schools. And while STEM robots aren't new, the evolution is within self-care for children. If we look at, you know, an example of these robots is DOCBI, an emotive robot that uses AI and interaction to encourage children to form a lifelong healthy habit. I think back to February 2020, back before we knew what was going to happen, and I was traveling on an airplane, and uh, I was at LaGuardia in New York City, and they had robots that were wandering around the terminals and everyone was so freaked out. And I mean, myself, I took a photo because I wasn't freaked. I just thought this is insane, you know, but it was kind of like big brother feeling. I think now if I saw that same robot, I would feel a sense of comfort to Mm -hmm. think there's some sort of safety, security, censorship happening with that robot. A hundred percent. I would actually welcome it. So how wild to think in one year to your point. Less than. Yes. How accelerated our acceptance, understanding and almost craving for technology that adds that extra support it's wild to me too that robots robots want to be more (laughs) emotionally driven and connected i think back to our trip to south by two years ago then samsung was working on creating robots that could mimic human emotions so they could be happy sad excited angry to think that they're trying to train technology to relate to human beings more from a human behavioral and psychology standpoint demonstrates how important it is for us humans to keep that as our strongest skill that's something that not even robots can duplicate 
by definition, a safe space is a place or environment in which a person or a group of people could feel confident that they won't be exposed to discrimination, criticism, harassment, or any other emotional or physical harm. And I think what's really interesting about that is a lot of people are worried about AI. Um, They're worried about it taking their jobs. One of the things that AI can actually do, it can monitor for hate speech. It can, you know, Facebook uses AI to make sure that people and groups are not bullying others. And so I think that's also part of the safe space where we can use that digital world to build a better community. Oh, absolutely. And I think allowing employees to have conversations, open conversations for business owners or hearing your friends is a big part of a safe space, even if it's not something you agree with. It's requiring an education to better understand others it doesn't like I said it doesn't mean you have to agree but it does mean you are working to understand and accept others differences instead of just choosing to respond based on your own personal bias and your own personal beliefs so a lot of safety comes again from those ideas of the three c's we've been talking about choice comfort and control my prediction is you are going to start seeing a lot of attention given to companies that are mastering this concept and serving as leaders in this space what is creating a safe space mean? It means you start by looking at your blind spots. What do you not know a lot about? You know, we're moving to this world of transgender and pronoun preferences. If you're not educated on that, I suggest you start researching now. Understanding how to ask your employees in a way that makes them feel safe, comfortable, heard, allows them to honor their truth, allows them to not have to feel shameful for the things that that are, are true to who they are. A lot of this comes down to exposure and education paired with an open mind to understand. And a really good example that I've experienced recently, a friend of mine is choosing to raise her baby non-binary. So that means without a gender. And for those that aren't familiar with this idea, it might seem a little radical, but it's actually a lot more common than you realize. Even celebrities like Kate Hudson and Angelina Jolie have expressed support for raising their children beyond gender stereotypes. And Sweden has incorporated the gender-neutral pronoun hen into their language to address inclusivity. So it's For me, probably not a choice I would make personally if I became a parent, but I really respect her decision, and I want to show that to her and to others through an education and respect of the boundaries that she has set. For me, it looked like asking her what to call her baby in lieu of he or she pronouns and how to handle it conversationally. I really try to stay conscious of how I talk about the baby. I don't say, does he like cars? I try to respect and say it in the way that she has asked and taught me to do, and In doing that, I really feel like she feels much more respected, both for her and for others. And it's a lot easier to do the more educated I become. Again, staying committed to being curious instead of critical. I love the chance to ask about the reasons why she made this decision. And I've learned so much in the process. I think it's so interesting when you ask somebody, why do you support this? Or why do you believe in that? Or why is that such a big priority for you? If you listen with an open mind, I'm not saying it's going to change yours. I'm saying it's going to widen your perspective. You could still walk away from that conversation believing what you already believed in, but now understanding, oh, I kind of get it. You know, I, I see why they did this. Or you know what? That's their, that's their perspective. Okay. That's, you know, it's a valid perspective, not one I would choose, but valid. It is so admirable to me when anyone is so committed and passionate about something, especially if it's the less common path. It, I think it's really brave to pursue your truth 
no matter what. You know, it actually makes me think of an article I just read about um, cities. You know, we talk about the 15-minute city where you're able to access different amenities within a 15-minute um, walking or uh, driving radius even within the city to make them more accessible because a lot of downtowns aren't able to thrive mm-hmm. because we've built up these structures, but there's no infrastructure to support them. And, you know, recently I heard about the one-minute city where they were trying to make it uh, so that it was even closer, more accessible. And what I loved about that story and what I think relates to what you're talking about is they brought the community involved. You know, when we do our workplace projects, we do these really intensive surveys and meetings with them to dig down into the the microscopic level of like what each individual needs, but then what also what the department needs, you know, what that group needs in order to thrive and survive. And so I think when we think about wanting to understand, you know, what people are wanting for themselves, you know, when you talked about your friend, it's just about understanding what can ha- what we can do to help support them you know what we can learn from them and then implement in our own designs if we're you know, a designer like yep. me or into just your daily life conversations you know i think being open minded like that is the figurative component of a safe space and if you take that example and translate it into anything in the world right now black lives matter transgender female equality homosexuality you name it it is that open mindedness acceptance of differences and respectful perspective and interest to understand that makes it safe. So at work, at a university, at a retail center, you could have a quote, quote, safe space. But if people are walking around and judging or shaming or hate, hate speak, you know, it's not a safe space. It's a figurative and a literal space. And I think it's really important to stay committed on all ends if you are going to be a progressive company in 2021. I think it really means if you don't know the right way to handle a situation or how to say something, ask. It is mm-hmm. your responsibility Have a to conversation. Yes, absolutely. No one expects you if it's something you're not familiar with. For me, I didn't. I had no idea about raising a non-binary child. I asked a lot of questions from a purely curious perspective, not critical. That is the key. Curious, not critical. And, you know, if you consider home security systems have skyrocketed. So we're talking about that robot earlier. We're talking about the Capitol yesterday. Security and safety in a space means so much. You can see consumer sentiments indicate safety as a top priority. I don't know if you guys have a ring camera. We do. It's creepy and wonderful. But (laughs) these ring cameras also come with neighborhood groups. And the neighborhood can say, you know, there was a break-in into my car three blocks over. You know, and uh, it creates warnings of suspicious activity, which have increased. And it pulls in through all of this, a later trend I'll share about with community, partnered with this idea of safety. So those sales skyrocketing of home security systems demonstrates safety as a priority. Everywhere you go, it doesn't matter. It needs to translate everywhere. Another safety priority is going to be sanitization, as disease control is something people are hyper aware of. I would consider disease control and sanitization in that category of safety. And respecting and adhering to COVID protocol is huge for safety. It's managing feelings of PTSD is huge for safety. According to Google Trends, sterilization is a 2020 breakout global search term. It grew by more than 5,000% last year. It's all connected, and it's all how we're going to make great change together. So, you guys, we threw a lot at you. 2021 is going to be a great year. I hope you're feeling energized and inspired. I want to remind you of the four trends we talked about today. The first is that fidgetal world. The second is that idea of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and how to stay ahead of coping. The third is workplace as an inclusive community center. And the fourth is that idea of a safe space. So if you are interested in researching more, having more conversations, we'll have some of the content up on the blog. And we're also always 
welcome and willing to have a greater, longer conversation with you directly. We would love to really make sure this is something that is adding a lot of value in your life and hopefully making changes in the ways you want to live. So again, stay tuned. We've got another episode coming upcoming. We're going to be talking about retail and higher education. We're going to be talking about healthcare and emotional plurality, just to name a couple of the things that are coming. So again, I'm Mark Bryan, one of your hosts for Make It Innovative. And I'm Sam Moeller, and I hope you can find the change you want to be to allow innovation to thrive in the way you live. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Sam. Great talking.